Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the May issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Hornflies and Control Options. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dave Boxler, who's a Nebraska Extension Educator and Entomologist based at the West Central Research and Extension Center. Thanks for joining me today. You're welcome, Aaron. Dave, the focus of the article that you wrote is looking at horn flies and options for control. As we were getting ready to have our conversation today, we've seen a late spring in terms of colder temperatures. That's going to have an impact on horn fly emergence. Set the stage for us a little bit on where we're at in terms of horn flies, what we might expect to have happen, and what are some options for control as people think about turning cattle out to pasture? Well, certainly in the, the west central part of the state and in the western Nebraska, we, we've had some really up and down temperatures, and it's really impacted the, the time when hornflies start to emerge. And their emergence is really driven by, by temperature. And where they have overwintered, uh, you need to get the, that soil temperature up into the 60s uh, because they're going to be overwintering in that uh, soil a manure pad interface. So the temperature's got to get up there in, in the low 60s before they, they will consider emerging. And we may have had some emergence, uh, very little maybe, but at least in this part of the, of the state. Now, in the eastern part where they've had a little more milder conditions, uh, they probably have some horn flies to deal with. But as with any insect, temperature is the driving force behind their survivorship and uh, their ability to reproduce. So I think as we progress through the month of May, we will start to see uh, horn flies starting to emerge. Now, when they prepare for wintering, overwintering, they will go into a, a phase called diapause, and that's also driven by, by temperature. And the horn flies, they all don't go into that overwintering stage all at once. So it, it, it's staggered. That's why we're going to probably see horn flies emerging over a, a longer period of time this year, because it's all driven by, by the temperatures. So I would predict, based on historical observations, that come June 1st, if we continue our warm-up gradually, we'll have a, a pretty healthy population again this summer. Now, if we remain super dry and uh, warm up and, and stay warm, some of the horn fly numbers may be impacted this year because once you start losing the moisture in that manure pad, why it will increase larval mortality. Now, a horn fly can go from egg to an adult in as little as 10 days, but you know, they do need that moisture. So uh, on some very warm summers like the one we experienced in 2012, we saw lower horn fly populations. But um, I, I think that we'll probably see a, a population level this year similar to last year, uh, if everything goes so uh, like I think it might, because there is in the forecast here in the next week or so a chance for moisture. So our pastures certainly desperately need it. But as we progress into the horn fly season, producers need to keep in mind that they should provide some means of control on their animals because the horn fly can cause some uh, significant issues 
certainly uh, can affect milk production in the mother cow, can uh, alter grazing patterns that we see. Uh, it'll bunch the cattle and it'll affect the behavior and also uh, weight gain. And not only weight gain on uh, yearlings, but uh, certainly uh, weaning weights of calves. And we, we've had a lot of research to document that impact. And the current economic injury level is set at 200 horn flies per animal. That economic injury level re represents a fly population of 200 flies per animal that will negatively impact cattle production enough to warrant a treatment and pay for the fly control measure. So we need producers to keep in mind some uh, form of control, and that will vary by management practice. We have a whole array of different delivery systems that will provide horn fly control. You have to pick the, the right one that fits your management style. And we've got uh, treatments that date way back to 50 years ago, like the dust bags and oilers. Uh, dust bags here in Nebraska are not as commonly seen, but certainly oilers or back rubbers are, are still uh, used quite frequently by uh, a lot of producers. In both of those delivery systems, uh, it's really ideal if you can force your animals through to use those devices, but I know uh, certainly in the sand hills, it, it can be a real predicament if you try to fence around water tanks. So expect if you're going to free choice a dust bag or a, a back rubber slash oiler, expect maybe 25 to 50% less control. So that's something to, to certainly keep in mind. Uh, many producers really like to use pour-ons, especially when they turn their animals out to pasture, because that will provide a just a, a real good knockdown for uh, several weeks. You can expect maybe 28 days of control, and they're going to have to then reapply if you continue to use the pour-ons. Animal sprays have actually gained stronger interest over the last 10 years, and we're seeing more people spraying their cattle using uh, utility vehicles with a low-pressure sprayer. And we do have some producers in the sand hills that have uh, started to use the mist blower sprayer. And this is where you take the sprayer out in the pasture and spray your cattle right there in the pasture without having to gather them up. So it just depends on, on your situation. You can expect anywhere from 7 to 14 days of control by using uh, both of those delivery systems. We still have a strong following with of the uh, oral larvicides or feed additives here in Nebraska, and we have uh, three different products that uh, can be used. Usually, they're incorporated into loose mineral or salt, uh, and you really need to ensure steady consumption by your animals throughout the fly season. And ideally, if you're going to use a feed-through or a, an IGR, an insect growth regulator, you really need to get that product out into the animal about 30 days prior to the fly season. So right now is the time you want to get that material out there so that it's in the, uh, the manure that is being deposited by your cattle if they're on pasture. We do have insecticide ear tags. We still have a fairly strong following. Uh, there's a, a number of different modes of action to, to utilize. And um, I would encourage producers to follow the, the label of the product that they're using and apply the number of tags that are stated on the label because the label will have all the information you need and follow that label 
uh, very closely. And I would wait as long as possible before ear tagging. And, and a good example of this is the year that we're having right now. I know of a couple people that have already applied ear tags, and it may be a bit too early because the population just aren't, aren't present because of our weather. I would encourage late May or early June if you can do that. I know it's not possible for everybody, but to get the greatest impact from your investment, you, you should uh, apply in that time frame of late May, early June. We do have a compressed air application device that looks like a paintball gun, really uh, better suited for producers who have uh, probably say less than 25 animals and no working facilities to gather the animals in. So that uh, is available. And that'll give you about 10 to 35 days of control. And one thing that I'm seeing a greater interest, uh, not necessarily by Nebraska livestock producers, but uh, producers in other parts of the country, is a walk-through flytrap called the Bruce walk-through flytrap. And this is a mechanical device that you can build and um, you have to put it in a forced use environment or in an alleyway and the cattle will walk through there. And there'll be a series of pieces of carpet or canvas that will knock the flies off. Flies are attracted to light, so they'll fly to the sides of this. It's a screened-in enclosure or to the top. In fact, I just had a person from the state of Iowa contact me about the plans to build one. So uh, there's more and more people, especially the people that want to go into the organic side or the natural side, are kind of gravitating to this uh, particular uh, device. So it is something, it may not work for everybody, but if you've got a small group of animals, it might be just what, what you need. Those are the methodologies that we have available. And uh, we're hoping uh, down the road that we can get some new modes of action of insecticides out there. Uh, we haven't had a new one for over 35 years, so it's, it's about time. But unfortunately, it takes a lot of money to develop an insecticide. And that's sometimes uh, difficult to justify by some of these companies. But we're keeping our fingers crossed, Aaron. Dave, in the article, you highlight different products available and different modes of action. I guess touch base just a little bit for us. What we should be thinking about in terms of modes of action as we think about using a product, especially thinking about that in light of maybe what we've used prior years. Well, that's a very good point, Aaron. Really, ideally, uh, you should change modes of action on a yearly basis. And like if you're using a spray, it would be good to change the mode of action throughout the summer or the fly season. And in my article, I have listed a table that shows the different modes of actions and group numbers. So every label will have a group number which indicates how this product works in, a, in an insect, the mode of action. So all you have to do is look at the label and see it may have a 3A. Well, you may want to switch to something that has a 6 or a 1B. So you can use that principle to rotate to different modes of action because what we're seeing more and more is resistance. And we're starting to see it to, to all of the modes of actions that we have out there. So uh, it's critical that we, we change up at least every year. And if in the case of uh, sprays, uh, maybe within the year is going to help manage resistance. We'll never be able to remove insecticide resistance. We just have to manage it. And we do that by rotating to different compounds and how they work 
within the insect. Dave, I also know you've done some experimental work looking at traps and things like that, not necessarily for horn flies, but things like stable flies. Uh, just give us some perspective. Where are those things at in terms of research and development? Well, we've done a lot of work with traps uh, for stable flies, and we've had over the last 20 years an increase in pasture stable fly numbers. They're very impacting on animal productivity. And we've looked at a trap in particular called the nightstick trap. And it's only uh, about a foot tall. It's made out of PVC pipe and it has a, a wrap, a foam wrap around it with an adhesive. And as the sunlight uh, strikes that, that trap and that adhesive, the, wave, the, the light is re reflected in a wavelength that makes it attractive to the stable fly. We know that it will uh, attract uh, stable flies in large numbers. Uh, but we haven't really figured out how many traps you're really going to need to reduce the population. And that's our next step in how we look at um, the effectiveness of these traps in, in a pasture setting. Ideally, you want to put those traps where animals will uh, certainly congregate. So there's more work to be done, but uh, we're seeing development of, of traps from different companies. And uh, I think that in order to manage the, the stable fly issue in pastures, you're probably going to have to have a multifaceted approach to uh, managing this particular fly species. Dave, anything else on this topic you'd like to highlight today? Well, I would really encourage producers to follow the label. If you're using insecticide ear tags for fly control, please remove them in the fall because that helps also in managing resistance, but uh, read and follow the label directions. And, uh, and certainly I encourage any producer out there that has livestock to provide some means of fly control. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, you can find this article. Again, the title of the article, Horn Flies and Control Options.